Howdy, I'm Paul Isaac Yoder. This is Author's Dozen, a podcast where I explore barriers to storytelling by writing one novel every month for 12 months. Please enjoy. All right, Wes Fulkerson, welcome to the Author's Dozen podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it being out for the month, uh, you know, the a long time <laughs> is a relative term. We are uh, past roommates, and you have a book coming out, and uh, I wanted to talk to you about that. So uh, tell, tell us a little bit about it. Well, it's called For Whom the Sun Sings, and it is a YA fantasy novel being put out by Enclave Publishing. comes out March 17th. And the logline for the book is The Entire World is Blind. No one has even heard of sight before. And then into this strange sort of world, uh, someone named Andreas is born and he's able to see. And so his ability as he comes into it and starts to figure out what's going on really undermines kind of the social order uh, of this society and and things get crazy pretty fast. So it's a really neat read because it makes you uh, kind of twist your brain up a little bit and ask questions you don't normally think about. And, uh, there's a lot of twists that I'm not going to give away. It's a fun book. Yeah. So how how was that for you? You know, um, being a, a sighted person, I know you you had a few references uh, in the uh, back of your book. Would you like to talk at all about um, what it was like writing a book about uh, blindness and sight? Uh, you know, coming from one of those two camps. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's one of those weird things. On the one hand. Uh, you think, okay, can I write this because I can see, but you know, it's a lot easier than the other way around. Right. Um, uh, did you ever see that movie, the bird box? Uh, unfortunately I missed it, but, uh, I, I know the, I know the general <laughs> gist. Well, for, fortunately you missed it. I think was what you, what you meant. <laughs> uh, <laughs> weird movie. Um, but after that came out, you know, everybody was doing the bird box challenge where they tie blindfolds around their eyes and try mm. to drive and stumble around and generally harm themselves. Uh, right. So I was writing this book before that movie came out, to be fair, and I was doing pretty much the same thing, except for the driving. Uh, right. <laughs> sounds silly, but legitimately, you know, as a writer, you need to know what things feel like. So it's like, all right, how can I walk down the stairs without seeing? How far can I get down the road just by listening? You know, what's it like to use the walking stick? Um, I don't know if it's politically correct, but I, I needed to know, you know, so I, I actually did some of those things. Um mm. And there was a, there's a really great guy you referenced, I mentioned in the back of the book. There's a guy named Tommy Edison, who I really want to be friends with. So I hope he listens to your podcast, <laughs> reaches out. Uh, but he had a YouTube channel called the Tommy Edison Experience. And he's a guy who's blind from birth. His buddy videotapes him. And he just takes people's questions and talks about what life is like as a blind person. So you can't mm. buy research material that good. I mean, it just dropped in my lap when I was searching. Uh, and this That's guy, amazing. You know, answered so many of my questions. Mm, that's cool. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. I, 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 I looked him up uh, when I saw him in the back of your book and uh, yeah, it is really incredible. There are so many things in your book uh, that are um, on one hand, you know, someone blind from birth ne- wouldn't necessarily know what it's like to be sighted from birth. And, you know, the same is true uh, in the other direction. Um, so in, in, 
in the world of fiction, you do, if you want to bridge any gaps, you know, you have to be on one side of that gap or on the other, uh, sometimes. So yeah, it's a, it's a tricky thing. And I, I really yeah. appreciate the, you know, what you were able to do with it. Um, can you go into sort of like, I don't know, what was the process of building that world? Uh, what were some of the things that, you know, you were just really excited to find out? Well, you know, for me, I think that you need to have a burning question when you're going to embark on any creative endeavor as long as a novel. And there were a lot of those for me. The first one I think was, uh, you know, there's that, there's a fleet of helicopters flying overhead. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know that part where you told me to find a quiet place to record? <laughs> it's okay. It happens. And they sent in the Marines. So yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, I mean, that's, uh, you, you did commit uh, war crimes. So yeah, uh, that's, that's to be expected. Me. I've got about two minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, there's that old saying that in the land of the blind, the one eyed man is king. And mm -hmm. you know, there's all these kind of truisms and sayings and maxims that we just repeat. And we don't really think about, but that got me thinking, what on earth is the land of the blind? And what would mm. that be like where that's the norm, where nobody can see, where these people built a society and, and the world is like that? Um, so that was kind of my first burning question that led to a bunch of others. But, um, you know, I was really excited to write this book uh, at the beginning, especially. And I had a vision for it. And I thought, I am going to bang out a rough draft in a month. I mean, once my research <laughs> is done, and I've got my outline. I'm going to write this in a month, which yeah. I know something about that. <laughs> and uh, I didn't. This was an incredibly difficult book for me to write. Mm. Um, usually first drafts take me about three months, uh, give or take. And it took me a year just to get the rough draft on paper. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit of a difficult process. But I think part of that was just because I loved the idea and I wanted to get it right. Uh, and so it just it took a little more time. Certainly, certainly. What, um, yeah, that, that is, that is a, you know, a challenge. And I, I, you know, every program I try to remind people like, this is not the best idea for everybody to be doing. It's a good exercise. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah. it's interesting to shoot for it, but, um, yeah, it's, I, it's funny you mentioned that I'm currently in the middle of writing a book where, uh, I didn't have a sort of, uh, burning question. I just had a scenario <laughs> in mind that was, uh, very interesting to me. Um, but I didn't necessarily have uh, something that would promote a lot of conflict. And so, um, yeah, it's it's been incredibly difficult to write. And I this I yeah, this month I'm going to be talking a lot about failure. Um, you know, I'll get to the end of the book, uh, but, you know, it'll be a it'll be an exercise in uh, completion rather than perfection or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's very interesting. Well, and that's the toughest thing too. A lot of times you think you have a lot of conflict and then you get into it and you realize there's not as much conflict. <laughs> certainly, so certainly. It's a tough place to be. Plot yeah. is conflict ultimately. You know, I, I won't, I won't again, get too much into the spoilers of your book, but there are power differentials in your book. You know, there are, yeah. uh, there are people who have a lot of power and then there are people who have uh, very little power. Um, but yeah. the, the way that you made that interesting was that, uh, you know, your main character is not necessarily uh, extremely powerful in the way of like society and things like that. Um, but yet he has this sort of uh, power that not everybody has, which is sight. I just think that that's a very good way of laying out conflict. 
just yeah. to have people be powered in different ways. Um, and well, absolutely. Yeah. And, and if we're peeking behind the curtain a little bit and getting into the craft, like I know you do on, on this podcast, <laughs> um, part of what was so neat about that is, you know, this isn't how I was thinking about it, obviously, when I first got excited about the idea, but part of the reason it works so well is because we sort of have a built-in stake in his side of the conflict and the power that he does have versus the power that he doesn't have. Uh, the book at the beginning is dedicated to anyone who's ever felt alone and knowing the truth. Mm. And that's really the emotional driver behind this story. Andreas can see, and everybody else thinks that idea is nuts. And it's, it's plain as day to him. It's in front of his eyes, you know, and nobody else gets it. Nobody else wants to listen to him. And everybody knows that feeling you know, where it just seems like everybody's taking crazy pills. You can't convince anybody of anything, but it's just so apparent to you. Um, and so I, I think that emotional sort of universal feeling feeds into that conflict as well, because you have conflict, but you also have buy-in because mm. you can, you can put yourself in those shoes, I think. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of your first, uh, you know, experiences with the, with writing your first book? Um, and how, you know, you've changed, uh, over the years, uh, to write your latest book and, uh, eventually publish it. Yeah. Well, uh, I started getting serious about writing my senior year of college and, uh, I guess I'm really bad at being a slacker because, uh, I had an upper div business management course that I, uh, you know, wasn't paying a lot of attention to, but instead of taking notes, I was writing short stories in preparation for a novel. Mm -hmm. So... I guess that's sort of productive, right? <laughs> um, but really, I'd, I'd go in there every week and, and I'd just start writing short stories um, because I had this idea for the Starfall trilogy mm -hmm. uh, for a while, and I just knew that I wasn't a good enough writer yet to do it justice. Mm. And so I practiced. Um, and I practiced inside the world. I, I wrote a novella that I called Incus after one of the characters. Mm -hmm. And when I got out of school, um, I just started writing, you know, and I, uh, I knew that I would have a problem with getting stuck in the infinite loop of this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. And I didn't want to end up, you know, spending a year and having two paragraphs done. Right. So when it got time to actually start writing the novel, uh, I actually just bought a notebook full of paper and some pens mm -hmm. and got after it because I knew that I can't edit if it's in ink. So I can edit later, you know, when I put it into the computer. Um, and I just, you know, I had my quota every day. I'd write 10 pages every day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every, every once in a while I knew that I'd know that I'd come to a problem I hadn't thought about quite enough and, you know, go off and take some time and, and solve some problems and come back. But it was interesting, you know, it was a lot of world building for me that first time around. And I was really excited about the story and, um, you know, you go back and you read it years later and it's like, wow, I was not a very good writer. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everybody's, you know, freshman effort uh, is going to have some ups and downs, certainly. But uh, could you yeah. tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, definitely. The interesting thing about it is a lot of people still love the book. Certainly. You know? um, yeah. I mean, we uh, we moved, you know, we moved about 5000 copies of it. That's amazing. Which, you know, for somebody who's 20 years old and no idea what he's doing and right. by himself without any yeah. marketing is not terrible. Um, and a lot of people really love the characters and love the story. Um, but I was definitely a lot better at story than I was at writing. Mm. Um, and I think for every writer out there, they tend to fall more heavily on one side or the other. Um, mm. some people really are just wordsmiths, you know, 
Um, Patrick Rothfuss can write about the toaster and it'll be great. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you read his series, he'll disappoint you. <laughs> there are the, yeah, there are story problems, uh, for sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and then you have people who are natural storytellers who aren't necessarily the greatest writers. Um, I think of somebody like Michael Crichton, mm. who is an incredible storyteller and you know, his prose is nothing to write home about, no pun intended. Right. Um, but his stories are so good. You don't care. And you know, I think for all of us writers, we've got to know which our strength is and what our weakness is, and we've got to make up for our lack, you know. So so for me with Starfall, thankfully I'm getting the chance to, to put out revised versions. Um, so I've been going through and editing those and leaving the story mostly the same. But, I mean, gosh, in the first book, we cut out 10% of the words, Paul. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is, uh, I... I don't know the exact number, but I believe that's what uh, On Writing says, you know, by Stephen King. Um, he, you know, writes a pretty long draft, uh, tries to axe as much of it as he can, and uh, yeah, just sees where it goes. So, yeah. yeah. What was, uh, so tell tell uh, our audience sort of the rundown of the story of that first book, and what, what sort of grabbed you with that idea? Yeah, so the idea for Starfall is it takes place in a world called Pontus, where whenever anybody is born, a star appears in the sky and they grow up, uh, the people in this world grow up knowing which star is theirs and they watch it because at a certain point it's going to fall. And not everybody is able to see that happen, but for those who do and they go and get it, they get to choose a gift and the world is sort of split up into these different nations based on what giftings people have chosen. Um, so they end up having these sort of superpowers. It changes them physically. It defines their culture, etc. And uh, the story follows these twin brothers who are born into slavery in the country of Flororia, kind of fallen through a crack in time, uh, in a sense. And they're watching their stars. And it ends up leading to this global conflict and, and whatnot. So kind of a high concept sort of thing. Uh, definitely yeah. very fantasy. Yeah. And uh, the first thing that grabbed me, it's, it's funny, the little fragments we get. You know, I, uh, I just loved that concept of imagining a star floating to Earth like a flake of snow. And so that's how I ended up uh, describing it. But I could just never get that image out of my head. And so it turned into a story about choices and, and what they do to people and how they define us. Um, you know, the two main characters, uh, really a lot of what happens to them is the same in a sense. Uh, but it's also totally different because of the choices that they make. Certainly. So that was kind of my driving idea and question behind that one. Yeah, yeah. I've I've had the, you know, pleasure of reading uh, a lot of writing on writing uh and there is a yeah, that that sort of uh image, that sort of charismatic image that sticks in your head and you just have to get out there. Um I think that's a I think, you know, it can sound sort of like overtly spiritual to a lot of people and sort of uh, you know, wooey or whatever. Um but the uh, Song of Ice and Fire series started when George R. R. Martin had this image of just uh, a mother, you know, dire wolf, uh, you know, with with her pups in the snow and, you know, sort of dying and letting them, you know, go out and stuff. There's there is a, yeah. you know, yeah, starting starting from like, oh, hey, let me start building a story or whatever um, might sometimes be less interesting than seeing a really powerful image and thinking like, what does this mean? You know, how do I, uh, work yeah. through this and, and flesh it out? Um, yeah. Well, so I, I think that's incredibly valid. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. I, uh, I'm down here in San Diego and I, I teach at San Diego writers Inc quite a bit. They have me out 
here and there. And I talk about writing different places from time to time. And one thing I always tell people about creativity is ideas come in fragments, but you know, what do you automatically know about a fragment? Well, that it belonged to something else. Right. You know, and that's part of the fun of writing. I mean, if you're walking through the desert and you find a, a shard of pottery, you know, there used to be a pot. And it's the same thing with these ideas that we get for books. We have this very vivid image sometimes. And so then we start asking questions. Okay, how'd they get there? Why are they there? Why does it matter? What happened after, et cetera, et cetera. Certainly. Yeah. That's a, that's another one of my, uh, favorite, um, you know, writings on writing is, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, we just had the passing of his son, uh, Christopher, who yeah. uh, helped out with a lot of stuff, but, um, his, uh, he, he wrote this short story, uh, called, uh, Leaf by Niggle, I believe. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. yeah, yeah. And just, you know, for our listeners, the, the idea is that this guy, um, you know, he works his entire life, you know, trying to, uh, realize uh the painting of this leaf um a single leaf on a tree and then he you know dies having not completed it um and uh goes to you know goes to the afterlife and sees the tree that the leaf belongs to the world is the world is big and bigger than we can sort of realize um and i think that uh one of the remarkable things about the lord of the rings and the worlds that uh tolkien built uh were that they feel like a smaller part of a bigger thing that you you know want to yeah. go and explore so yeah that's yeah, wild absolutely. that's really cool so um do you have a few uh favorite authors or books that you sort of uh i don't know that you sort of most draw from or that you just enjoy in general yeah absolutely um i really love to read fantasy novels uh mm-hmm. when they're good um, a lot of great fantasy out there. Um, but my reading is, is pretty wide. I read a lot of nonfiction as well, some poetry, some classics, regular fiction, whatever. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, I really liked Orson Scott Card. Yes. Um, I read like 35 of his books or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, have, don't read him quite as much these days, but loved him when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I like Michael Crichton's stories. I come to them again and again. I love Tolkien. I love Lewis. I love Isaac Asimov. He's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, T.H. White, Dostoevsky. You were you were talking about like the um, the you know balance of style and substance a little bit. What what sort of draws you to those people? Well, it's funny because some of those people are wordsmiths and some of them are storytellers. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple are both. I mean, somebody like a C.S. Lewis or a J.R.R. Tolkien is is that rare breed of both. Yeah, you know, Shakespeare is both. <laughs> um, but I think I like them for different reasons. You know, I, I think generally I, I like an author who's able to make me lose myself in a world and, and really feel something. Uh, when the book's over, I still think about it. And, uh, you know, you want to spend more time with them. I mean, it's like they say, leave them wanting more. You want to spend more time with the characters, but it's still satisfying somehow. What sort of elements do you take from your favorite, uh, you know, authors and books? What, what were things that uh, you felt really inspired the works uh, that you've done? Well, I think that we often don't give enough credit to the mechanics of writing. I've heard it said that if you want to understand how something works, take it apart. That's why you see, you know, uh, half disassembled cars on people's lawns or, mm-hmm. you know, um, if you want to know how a toaster works, take the toaster apart, etc. And I think it's the same with writing. And so over the years, I've tried to do the same thing with, you know, a lot of the stories that I've read and loved and, and the masters of the craft. You know, I like to take apart the stories and, and see what the formula is, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of times we say writing is self-expression, um, but it's not. 
you know, I mean, you flip somebody off on the freeway and that's self-expression, but it's not right. art. Yeah. You know, art has form too. And so I think the biggest thing I, I took, um, probably, I mean, obviously there's all sorts of style and voice things that bleed in that, that are hard to track down and, and hard to be conscious of. But, uh, I think the biggest thing is for me, I was very deliberate about the beats of this story and knowing when the rises and falls, when the questioning happens and when things get more complicated and all of that really ultimately came from reading. Do you follow like a certain uh, kind of mechanics or formula that you, you know, it, it can sound like, oh, hey, you're just, you know, painting by numbers or whatever. But, you know, it is it is truly helpful to have sort of guideposts of like, oh, this is something that I should be thinking about right now. Do you have any sort of like, well, sure. Uh, I don't know. What are those guys? Yeah. You know, you? it's funny. On the one hand, I think people are so afraid of being rigid, but being amorphous is much more common and worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yep. so I'm yep. not advocating being rigid. However, it's sort of like you want to write a poem, right? And you've got an idea of what a poem is. There's poetic forms and you know, where your rhyme scheme is and where the accents are and how many syllables every line has, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and then people will say, well, it doesn't have to rhyme to be a poem. And they're right. That's true. There's, there's some poetry that doesn't rhyme. So you, you write, you know, a poem that doesn't rhyme. Well, you can only get so many steps away until finally you have to say, you know what, you're just an idiot. That's not a poem. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if yeah, you're tying a yeah, cat sure. to a ceiling fan and painting him red, that's not a poem, you know? Um, right. So we're sure. just no longer in the realm of doing the thing that you claim that you're doing. And I think it's the same with story mechanics. There definitely are some people who are very rigid. Um, you know, so, uh, and I, I definitely don't say this name, uh, as a detraction because he's wonderful and everyone should read him. Uh, John Truby is this brilliant script doctor. Um, he's got a, a book called mm -hmm. the anatomy of story. And he's one that I actually think is very rigid in how he tells people to write. But I think that's because he comes from the editing side, you know? Um, mm. so for me, I think that there are certain universal story beats that you need to hit, but you can put them out of order. And there's a number of elements that uh, you can't ever lose, but there are a number of elements that go in sometimes and sometimes they don't and you can put a twist on them, etc. You know, I mean, if, you're, if your story doesn't have an all is lost moment, you're doing it wrong, right? Um, if you don't have inciting mm. action, it's not a story. If you don't have denouement, it's, uh, you know, I'm sorry, uh, falling action. You know, you haven't completed the book in a satisfying way. But by the same token, you know, Maybe you don't need to follow every single block that they tell you to put in, but you still need to have enough of it to right. where it's still itself. Does that make any sense? Yeah, certainly. No, um, knowing, uh, you know, knowing how to be a formalist first, uh, and then, you know, figuring out, Hey, what, what of this can I alter or change? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I, I would prefer that, you know, Picasso, you know, people become masters of, uh, sort of formal art uh, and, you know, see at least what tools are available to them, you know, for when they do their crazy cubist stuff. Well, exactly. And a lot um, of people probably don't know that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you do. I know that, that you're educated in the arts. Picasso's early work was, was very realistic and he studied at art school. He knew what he was doing. And so when he decided to break the rules, it was deliberate. Yeah, certainly. It's it, there is a there is a a stark difference uh, between making something because it is easier and making something because um, you know you want to break the rules. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so that's that's a that's a that's a very good point. Um, so you were you were talking about sort of uh, your teaching role. Uh, what does that look like? What what are you you know what does life as a writing uh, teacher and tutor and mentor look like? You know, I uh, I don't know that I'm I don't know that I would book myself that way. Um, <laughs> Certainly. You know, I mean, I'm I'm making my living writing the stories and, and revising stuff and ghostwriting, etc. Um, I just like writing and I like to talk mm-hmm. about it now and again, you know, so, yeah, certainly. so once or twice a month, you know, I got some people who like to have me out and I just go and talk about writing, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. but mostly my day looks like making stuff and I love it. It's what I, certainly, what I certainly. Want what are the biggest, uh, takeaways that you hope people take away? Um, well, we touched on one of them, which is know the craft, you know, certainly, um, at this stage, uh, in my career, you know, sometimes when people come to me bright-eyed and bushy-tailed with their first book idea, you know, you obviously want to be supportive, but at the same time, you're thinking, how do I break to this person? What a monumental amount of work is in front of them if they want this to actually be good. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know? um, so knowing the craft and encouraging people to actually study what the form is and how it works and what the beats are is a big part of that. But beyond that, I mean, there's just so much to talk about. I think being a good writer is is balancing the true paradoxes of our craft. Um, and I'm sure you know what I mean by that a little bit. It's like, you know, if you don't listen to any criticism, you're a terrible writer. And if you ris- if you listen to a bunch of criticism, you're a terrible writer. <laughs> right, certainly. Um, bringing up Orson Scott Card again, I actually, I got to hear him speak years ago. And he said one of the most brilliant things I've heard on writing. He says, as a writer, you need to understand two equal and opposite things. Number one, your writing is a gift from God. It was sent down on a golden platter from heaven. Don't let anyone touch it. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. You're the writer. The earth is blessed to have what came out of your pen. And the second <laughs> thing you need to know is that it's trash. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you need to know those things at different times too. Yeah. Like, you, you know, know sometimes Simon fold them. It's a remarkable amount of, you know, cognitive dissonance to say like, yes, I think that my work is, you know, worth, uh, you know, someone at the supermarket, like spending five for 10 bucks or, and like, you know, however many hours, uh, consuming it. And yet at the same time, you know, being like, well, yeah, you know, this, this could use some work, this could use some improvement. Um, there are, yeah, those, those two things are not diametrically opposed. Um, but they, they certainly, I don't know, they certainly come in handy at different parts of the writing process. It's an apparent contradiction and writing is full of those. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, where, where are you like right now with regards to that? Like, are you, um, are you working on the next book right now? Uh, mostly in the revision and like, uh, marketing process or what does that look like? I am in a whole ball of crazy as well. <laughs> um, yeah. gosh, I'm most of the way through the first book in another fantasy trilogy. Um, I'm in the first act of a play uh, <laughs> to yeah. name a couple of the many projects that I'm doing. Um, I'm ghostwriting a book for somebody that I'm really excited about. I, I can't talk about it just yet, but, um, sure. I think people are really, really going to enjoy this guy's story. That's um, great. But, uh, yeah, insofar as for whom the sun sings is concerned and my publisher, we're doing a lot of promo stuff right now. We'll have a book trailer that's going to be dropping in about a month. Um, I got to record the audiobook, which was really neat. I've never that's uh, amazing. had an audiobook for one of my books before. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. I actually got to read it. I had to audition to read my own book, which was a little <laughs> weird. But, yeah. You know. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, they, they they have to know they have to know that you can read as well as write, which is yeah. important. <laughs> Definitely not always the case. So I, I guess right. it's good that they were on the safe side. Sure, sure, for sure. Nailed um, the part. Though. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> No, it's uh, it's the Charlie Chaplin coming in third place at the Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest sort of thing. So, <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the one thing you sort of wanted to go over is uh, just how real life experiences um, move you to write and uh, act as sort of grist for the mill. Yeah, I just think it's interesting. That's all. Um, you know, that's that's the phrase that the old writers use, grist for the mill. You kind of got this yeah. big funnel of life experience, and you don't know exactly what's going to get refined and come out and be useful, but you need to put a bunch of things in there in order to get interesting stuff out. Mm. Um, but it's funny, my wife and I were talking about this, about things that have happened to me that unconsciously bled into my work for, for whom the sun sings. And so a couple of interesting stories, um, in for whom the sun sings without getting into too much detail, there is a moment of absolute panic throughout the entire society. I mean, mm -hmm. abject terror that just comes on like the, the flip of a switch because of a certain situation. Yeah. And we're talking about, you know, where, where does that idea come from? Where does that feeling come from? Well, in 2012, uh, a buddy of mine named Brad and I went to Europe. And one of the things we wanted to do was we wanted to go to Pamplona where they have the running of the bulls. So I went and I ran with the bulls. And what was really interesting about that was I showed up, you know, well-rested, wearing what you're supposed to wear, knowing what the course looks like. I was in good shape. You know, I was sober and, yeah. uh, most of the thousands of people there to run with the poles that week were none of those things. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, it's six in the morning, the sun's barely out. Everybody's in this crowded cobblestone street, you know, a lot of people still drinking, which is just a great idea before you're about to be chased by a terrifying, huge behemoth. Yeah, um, sure. And a, and a, and a sober bull to, to, to be, yeah. to be totally honest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting was, you know, I'm there bouncing on my toes, getting ready. Like, you know, I'm going to have a good time, but I want to survive this thing. So I'm, I'm sober minded and everybody else is laughing and joking and having a great time. And then all of a sudden you hear the cannon shot. They actually shoot <laughs> off a cannon and all of a sudden uh. everyone shuts up and thousands of heads turn at the same moment and look down this long, narrow cobblestone street that all of a sudden seems to get longer and you know, they are coming. And you hear the hooves coming. And all of a sudden, everybody who's laughing and joking to have a great time just lost their crap. Panic like <laughs> I have never seen in my life. People uh, throwing each other to the ground. You know, I mean, I had, to, I had to knock hands off of me. There was a big group of people that fell in front of me. And that's the thing that you do not want to do is you do not want to fall. I mean, there were 14 right. bulls coming after you. Um, yeah. so there was this big not to domino mention the people. Of people, not to mention the yeah. people. Yeah. I mean, people get trampled all the time, you know, I'm, I'm jumping over bodies and whatever, but, uh, that experience really fed in because I can write about, you know, mass panic because I've seen it, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. um, there's a, there's another scene in the book where again, without getting into too much detail, our main character, Andreas just has the worst feeling of doom of how did I get here? Oh my gosh, like <laughs> the right. worst has come upon me, you know, and I was thinking, um, you know, I, the emotions in that scene are very real. And I, you know, my wife and I, like I said, we're trying to figure out where some of these things come from several years ago. I think, no, I, it was probably a year before we lived in the same house up in LA. Anyway, yeah. I, uh, I was sitting at a stoplight one time and, uh, 
the light turned green. And so I went, but I saw it out of the corner of my eye. It was the other light. And so another mm. car was already going, you know, 45 miles an hour or whatever. And by the time mm -hmm. I realized my mistake, I was halfway in the intersection. Right. And that's actually not the moment of, oh no, what have I done? You know, that's still like panic. So I hit the gas and I tried to get out of there, but this thing just slams into the side of my car, T-bones the crap out of me. And I had just hit the gas. So between that and getting slammed, I actually ended up ramming head on into a very surprised police officer's car uh, <laughs> oh across goodness. the street from a police station. <laughs> yeah. So there was me in a car filling with smoke with my hands shaking and, you know, at a sudden stop thinking, this is a dream, right? Like I'm going to wake up. There's no way that yeah. anything this horrible is happening right now. Um, but, uh, you know, it's interesting because all those emotions go into the writing, you know, and mm -hmm. they find their proper place. So it's just, yeah. it's interesting to think of a couple of those instances that bleed in, you know. It brings back that, you know, image thing that you were talking about earlier. You know, you just have this thing in your head that you just can't quite, um, yeah. you know, escape from. Uh, that's, that is a powerful starting point for um, any scene, any story. And it was yeah. so emotionally impactful that it's like, well, everybody should know about this or, you know, everybody should... Uh, I don't know, should be interested at least in these sort of feelings that I felt. Yeah, I hear um, that like literally a week after I moved out of the house we used to share, a paranoid schizophrenic moved in, I think. <laughs> there was there was trouble. And uh, <laughs> maybe that's a story I'll tell someday. But um, yeah, I, I, I wrote an entire book um, sort huh. of uh, around that emotional experience. Um, and uh, just trying to process, because uh, like you said, uh, your your feelings in that situation, I'm sure there were a lot of uh, feelings of conflict, you know? Yeah. Um, am I at fault for this? Or, you know, what could I have done differently? Um, you know, how much of this is just uh, my brain being, I don't know, just being loopy. And huh. there's, there's a lot to sort of process with that. And, you know, you get to work that out in your writing, you know, yeah. um, uh, right. there's an element of exactly an element of therapy to that. What, what would you suggest for people? Um, would you suggest that they try to go out and have like big wild experiences or, or just use what they have? I mean, within reason, you know, I mean, yeah. if, you have a, if you have a great opportunity, you know, to go travel, great, go for it, you know. But mm -hmm. by the same token, I think what's even more important than running after experiences is to have eyes, you know, right. and to recognize things that happen to you. Because, you know, if you lead a boring life, you're probably not paying attention. Right. Um, there are, there's significance to a lot of things that, that we might not think there is unless we're paying attention. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, definitely put yourself out there, learn new things, et cetera. But I also don't think you have to wait for an oncoming train and dive right. out of the way to be a good writer. Yeah. And, and in fact, yeah. there's, there's sort of an element of, of what's the right way to say this? Uh, it's sort of contrived if you do that almost, you know I mean? The, right. The sorts of things that stick with you are going to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. No. Uh, yeah. There's, there's definitely a, a strong emotional difference between putting yourself in the path of the train and then, you know, throwing yourself away. Um, and you know, being put there, you know, not of your own volition. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a very deep divide between those two things. You know, this is, this is a Neil Gaiman thought, not a me thought, but, um, there's also a danger of just living your life, you know, uh, at a remove, 
um, yeah. and being like, Hey, Oh, this is, this is material. Yeah. I don't know. I, again, it just, it's different than actually living it and processing it later yeah, um, exactly. than just being like, Oh, this is, you know, this is so that I can be a better writer or whatever. I was just saying so many things are a matter of perspective, you know, um, maybe somebody was lying to me and having fun with me, but, uh, I've been told that over in Australia, when Australians come to visit, you know, New York or, or San Diego or whatever, they come to the States and they see pigeons they just think they're these gorgeous birds. Oh my mm -hmm. goodness, look at the green and the purple and the multicolored and it's wonderful. And we're like, that thing just ate a Band-Aid. It is a rat with wings. But, yep. you know, so much of, of being a writer is finding the beauty in things. And, you know, it's out there. There there are incredible things around you. You just need to learn to see the magic a little bit. Certainly, certainly. That's very There's cool. There's a terrible bumper sticker somewhere in there. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's, that's what we're here for, you know, just, uh, short pithy sentences <laughs> that, uh, you know, are inoffensive enough to, uh, be on the back of your station wagon. Magic. Um, also yep, my child exactly. was the number one student at Xavier magnet school. <laughs> what are you reading right now? What's, what's a, what's a book that, you know, either now or recently did have you uh, pretty excited? Uh, most recently I've been on a little bit of a history kick. I've been going through the killing series that, uh, Bill yeah. O'Reilly did with Martin Dugard. Mm -hmm. So I started with killing Kennedy and then killing England, which was about the revolutionary war. Right. And right now I'm reading killing the rising sun, which is just a series of people throwing rocks into the sky. Right. Um, <laughs> for who the sun sings. There you, <laughs> go. you just have to read every book with sun in the title. That's, the that's your research. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I don't know. So on the nonfiction side, I've been, I've been enjoying those. Uh, the last novel I read was, uh, a gentleman in Moscow by more tolls because a lot of people told me to read it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. What was, uh, what was fun about it? I've, I've had that on my list as well. You know, it's a slower paced book. Um, it's got a lot more plot in the, probably in the last third than in the beginning, mm -hmm. but yeah. honestly, that sort of is what's nice about it. Um, I'm not somebody who reads literary fiction all the time. But every once in a while, it's nice to take a step back and enjoy the details and enjoy the setting and enjoy the words. And that mm -hmm. really is, is the heart of it. I mean, it's really more of a character study than anything else. You know, you get to know this guy, you get to know the, the environment, and it's just, it's delightful to, to slow down a little bit every once in a while. Yeah, totally. I had the same experience uh, with the recent book, uh, A Long Way to a, a Small Angry Planet, I believe is the title. Mm. Um, and it's it's it was a book that I hated almost about halfway through. Um, yeah. and it was just, you know, I was just barely clinging onto it. And then like a plot happens, you know, yeah. and it's, it's one of those books where, um, maybe in retrospect, I even like it more just because, you know, there was a sense of like, Oh, we're just going about our day. Here we are living and, you know, being out in space with like space algae or whatever. And, and then, and then like a story happens. It's like, Whoa. Oh, that's, yeah, I don't know. There's something exciting about that. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, David Mamet would cool. not approve, but you know, everyone's fine. <laughs> well, David, David Mamet wouldn't approve a lot of things. So <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, that's true. A lot yep, to learn yep. from that guy. I'll tell you what. Yep. Yep. He, for uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think well, it was we'll, last we'll year. Have to, we'll have to wait for your, uh, your masterclass. Um, yeah. uh, so we can pay like, you know, thirty nine ninety nine and, and hear what we heard here today. Where can people find this thing? You know, right now, the best place to get it, since it's not actually out yet, is Amazon. It's it's open for pre-orders. And my mm -hmm. publisher is doing a limited edition hardcover run. So uh, people are already buying them. And if you're interested in getting a nice hardback, uh, 
go to Amazon, check them out. You can also yeah. follow me for updates uh, at WA Fulkerson on Instagram or mm-hmm. go to wafulkerson.com. And uh, it's a worthwhile read. You know, I, I know it sounds a little self-serving to say that about your own book, but um, I've written a lot of books at this point. This one's special. So I hope people enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I had a really great time reading it. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a pleasure, uh, you know, finally getting a, a galley copy of something, you know, uh, uh, you know, before everyone else gets it. Um, yeah. and, uh, that's the whole reason I started this podcast. You yeah. fell directly into my trap. Perfect. Um, so there we go. Um, thank you so much for uh, coming on and having a talk with me, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Hey, and if yeah. you'll allow me, I actually have one more thing to say. Yeah, please do. We'll stick it in. Okay, so I actually have been listening to your podcast, um, <laughs> just so you know. And I think something that you've left out that I think readers should know, you know, you've set out on this crazy journey to write 12 novels in 12 months. I know for a fact that you're going to do it. And the reason why I know is because I used to live with you. So <laughs> oh, how no. many years has it been since you missed a run? Uh, I can't remember. Um, it's exactly. Been... He, he can't remember guys. Okay. When I lived with you, it had been like seven or eight years since you'd missed a day. I mean, weekends, holidays, like everything. So yeah. here's a little story for your listeners real fast. Oh, no. One day Paul Yoder woke up and he wasn't feeling very well, but he went for a run anyway. And then he drove himself to the hospital where they removed his appendix. The next day he got out of the hospital drove himself home and went for a run at literal risk of death. So (laughs) it sounds made up, but it's true. Oh my gosh. It's what this whole podcast is about. (laughs) (laughs) So I have no doubt that you will in fact complete what you set out to do. Even if it Yeah, man. Yep. Absolutely. No. And that's, you know, again, I'm not saying that's a good idea. It's not, it's not a good idea. And we yelled at you so much. Oh man. Yeah. I remember it was good times. Um, but yeah, my, uh, yeah, man, this is like, that's, that's part of the, that's part of the joy of this podcast is just sort of, uh, torturing myself for, uh, everyone else's amusement. So, um, are you doing a good job? Awesome. Uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. All right. Hey, thanks again, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. It's been a pleasure, Paul. Awesome. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye.